You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. All right, I'm here. Corbin is in for Aaron today. This show is presented by Window Nation. If you're in the market for windows, uh, please call 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com and tell them we told you to call. Jimmy Patsos will be on the show uh, a little bit later on. Jimmy's a good friend, and we'll talk some hoops with him, college, pro, and he'll want to talk about the Super Bowl. Also, we'll get to the Wizards, Terps, um, and we'll be doing some Super Bowl trivia, but not today. We'll do it tomorrow and Friday, I promise. Um, the prize, not sure yet, uh, but we'll do it tomorrow and Friday. So those of you that have asked for it, uh, I appreciate that. I'm glad that you missed that segment. Um, and uh, I didn't know that there would be overwhelming demand for it. And I'm not suggesting that there's been overwhelming demand, but I remember how much people liked it from the radio. So we'll do it for two days leading into Super Bowl weekend tomorrow uh, and Friday. So it didn't take long to learn why the Redskins were interviewing quarterback coaching candidates. Remember yesterday we had the discussion about the Alex Marvez report that the Redskins were interviewing Ken Zampezi for their vacant quarterback coach position. Uh, and we wondered about Kevin O'Connell. And I suggested on the podcast yesterday that it probably meant that O'Connell was in line to be uh, elevated perhaps to offensive coordinator, and that's exactly what happened uh, yesterday afternoon. The Skins put out a press release that read yesterday as follows. Uh, the Redskins announced today that passing game coordinator Kevin O'Connell has been promoted to offensive coordinator. O'Connell has spent the past two seasons as, as the Skins quarterbacks coach in 2017 and the passing game coordinator in 2018 for the Redskins. And then in their press release, they explained what was going Going on with Matt Cavanaugh, um, writing in a corresponding move, Matt Cavanaugh will now be the club's senior offensive assistant. Uh, they also, in that press release, announced that Jim Tom Sula, the Skins' D line coach, is coming back for a third season with the team in the exact same role. Real quickly on Tom Sula, who um, some of you tweeted me uh, yesterday when you saw that announcement. Why wasn't Tom Sula considered to be a replacement for Greg Minuski as defensive coordinator? I don't know that he wanted to be the defensive coordinator. In fact, I think he is very happy that Minuski is coming back as the defensive coordinator. Um, and he's pleased that he can continue in sort of the same role that he's been in. You know, the, the young defensive talent... On this team, John Allen, Deron Payne, and Matt Ioannidis, they love Tom Sula as their position coach. And they like uh, they like Greg Minuski also. So the young defensive players, the future of this team, the strength of the team, uh, they are okay with Minuski staying, and they are thrilled that Tom Sula will continue uh, as their defensive line coach. He is very well-liked, well-respected, if not revered, by the players that play for him. Um, all right, back to O'Connell. Two simple words, Sean McVay. I'm not saying that Kevin O'Connell equals Sean McVay, but they like him and people around the league like Kevin O'Connell, and they like him a lot. Um, this was Torrey Smith on Twitter yesterday. Torrey Smith, wide receiver, played uh, with O'Connell um, in San Francisco uh, in 2016. 
He wrote uh, as follows on Twitter yesterday when Adam Schefter announced that Kevin O'Connell was getting the offensive coordinator promotion in Washington. Torrey Smith tweeted, the next McVay. And then in a follow-up tweet to someone who said, oh, yeah, yeah, Jay Gruden's coaching tree with like a, a an emoji, you know, laughing out loud. Um, then uh, Torrey Smith felt compelled to respond with the following tweet. He is legit one of the sharpest dudes I've been around. He is also great at communicating, which is half the battle when leading a team. Plenty of folks, no ball, but can you lead? All right, so look, the gr- there's a couple of things here in terms of what his responsibilities are going to be, and then I want to sort of work back to, to what Torrey Smith said because I think it leads to an obvious thought, which I'll get to in a moment. Um, the elevation of Kevin O'Connell, first of all, locks him into being here. Um, I'm not sure if he's going to call plays. Wouldn't surprise me if he does. Although, with that said... I don't think Jay Gruden, if Colt McCoy is the starter next year, is going to relinquish that responsibility of calling plays. I think Gruden still wants a chance to prove what he and Colt can do together. And I would guess that Colt McCoy being the starting quarterback next year, if that's the way it plays out, is going to excite Jay Gruden. It's not going to be his call. All right. I think we've learned that coaching staff decisions and roster decisions are not Jay Gruden's call. They are Bruce Allen's call. Um, I'm not sure how much uh, really drives Jay. You know, I don't know that he's a driven guy, but I think the prospect of Colt McCoy being his starting quarterback to open up a season next year will drive him in a way that he hasn't been driven in the past. And that's why when people say, okay, O'Connell's the offensive coordinator, he'll probably be the play caller. I don't know if Jay will give that responsibility up if Colt is the starter. Just a hunch. Don't know anything, just a hunch. Jay likes O'Connell. The team likes O'Connell. Other teams have been inquiring about Kevin O'Connell and his availability. They didn't want to lose the next Sean McVay. Which, just saying that out loud, leads to this obvious thought. Do they view Kevin O'Connell as the eventual replacement for Jay Gruden as head coach? It's in play now. It's definitely in play now. You know, it's possible that they want him to stay and want him to grow because this time they're not letting the next great young head coach out of the building. O'Connell's 33 years old. Um, I've heard for a while now, and I've mentioned this in the past, he's smart, he's a very good communicator, he knows ball. He really loves it and really knows it. Back, you know, back to what Torrey Smith said. Torrey Smith, he's legit, one of the sharpest dudes I've been around. He's also a great communicator, which is half the battle when leading a team. Plenty of folks know ball, but can you lead? And he had written before in his uh, on Twitter, the next McVeigh. So this is now a thing. Kevin O'Connell as the Redskins head coach in 2020. That is definitely a thing to keep an eye on now. Now, they'll have to be more productive on offense than they were last year. And I'm talking about, you know, healthy. They weren't very productive healthy last year on offense. You know, the 2016 Redskins, which led to Sean McVay getting the head coaching job in L.A., They were a top three offense in most statistical categories. 
McVay got a ton of the credit for the passing game production that year and Kirk Cousins' production that year. You know, a nearly 5,000-yard season, a very efficient, highly productive offense, third-down offense in particular. The thing they struggled with the most was they were not great in the red zone that year. But the Skins' offense, if you recall in 2016, in some very big spots on national television, whether it be that Green Bay Sunday night game when they blew out the Packers 42-24 to or the shootout with Dallas on Thanksgiving Day that year, people were watching and saw a dynamic pass offense without the benefit of a productive running game much of the time. You know, having to play off one of the league's worst defenses in modern NFL history in 2016. That 2016 defense was the worst third and long defense in the era of, you know, post-merger NFL football. So O'Connell's going to need some of that momentum, you know, going into 2020 with a big year on offense. You know, the problem is, is he doesn't have a quarterback like they had in 2016, a highly productive quarterback that really knew the offense. Maybe Colt will prove everybody wrong. I wouldn't hold my breath on that. They don't have Deshaun Jackson. They don't have Pierre Garçon. They don't have, you know, and they probably won't have a healthy Jordan Reed. They had those things in 2016, and they all made a big difference. They just don't have the talent to really produce those results. But if they do, he'll be sought after. If they do pull, you know, an offensive rabbit out of their hat, you know, he's going to be next year's Matt LaFleur or Zach Taylor. He'll be a head coaching candidate. If they get the results offensively, and that's a big if, you know, the Kevin O'Connell situation is a situation. He appears to be a head coaching candidate here in Washington and perhaps elsewhere if they get the results in twenty to, in 2019. This is why he was elevated. This is why they had a quarterback coach vacancy. This is why they were interviewing Ken Zampezi. I didn't see Kevin O'Connell, you know, emerging here in this particular offseason as a potential Redskins head coach in 2020, but the last two days clearly reveal that. You know, you you have to connect the dots. They didn't they I don't know if they're kicking themselves for Sean McVay. And let's be fair here and honest as we've been with each other over these last few months. Some of you think it's way too negative. I just think it's realism. It's what it is. You know, Sean McVay may not have succeeded here like he did in L.A. You know, we've had coaches here that have succeeded elsewhere that haven't succeeded here. Sean McVay may have, you know, been red-skinned here. You know, he may have not succeeded here because of, you know, the front office dysfunction. You need everything working together. You know, a great coach can only overcome so much. The situation in in Los Angeles is totally different. Uh, But um, anyway, they certainly learned from the McVeigh situation. I don't know that they could have done anything about it in the moment. We've talked about that before. Would have been very hard to fire Jay Gruden after back-to-back winning seasons for the first time in nearly 20 years years. You know, they weren't overly impressive winning seasons, 9-7, 8-7-1, basically the bare minimum for back-to-back winning seasons, but it included a playoff trip and 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 should have included a back-to-back playoff years. Should have. But we all know what happened in that Giant game. 
You know, the defense was horrible, and the quarterback didn't play well. Both of those things were true about that game. You know, the revisionist history is that it was number eight's fault. He blew it by himself. Uh, but the real story of that game was a giant offense with a vanilla game plan that couldn't run the football against anybody all year, rolling up 140 yards on the ground in the first half and dominating time of possession and taking a 10 nothing lead or 10-3 lead or whatever it was. The Redskins' defense was horrible that year. But yes, the quarterback was really bad on that day too. He wasn't good enough. Uh, anyway, um, real quickly before we get to, uh, to Patsos, uh, I didn't see any of the Wizards game last night. I went to the Maryland game last night and, uh, you know, it was what we expected in terms of the weather preventing a big crowd. The students came out, which was great to see, but everybody else got, you know, scared of a little weather. And I will tell you, there wasn't an easier night than last night to get to College Park for a 7 o'clock game because the federal government was out early, schools were out early, everybody went home early, and the roads were fine. They were fine. At least that was my experience. They were completely fine. Uh, but anyway, um, you know, most of the people, season ticket holders, others that would have come to the game didn't come to the game. So it wasn't what I would call a raucous environment for the first game that the students were back in, but Maryland did what they had to do last night. They were the desperate team. Uh, Turgeon said after the game that after losing to Illinois, he could not eat for four days. And you can see how he wears this on his sleeve. He is into it. He cares deeply. He is a competitor. And these losses, I know the, the loss to Seton Hall right before the holiday just killed his holidays. Just ruined it completely. And the loss to Illinois was a backbreaker. And, you know, it was preventable in so many ways. One of the ways, and I talked about this on Monday, you don't give up a home game in conference season in late January. You want to play a game at Madison Square Garden? You want to appeal to some of the Maryland alum that are up in the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut area? Play it in November against a non-conference opponent. You know, that's what you do. You don't give up a home game. M Maryland would have beaten Illinois at home on Saturday. I feel very confident in saying that. They didn't play well, and it's possible that they could have lost that game at home. More likely than not, they would have won the game on Saturday if they had played it at Xfinity Center. Uh, last night, um, there were a couple of things that, that stood out. First of all, Northwestern could not put the ball in the bucket for all the money in the world. They open shots, short shots, long shots, a lot of three-point attempts in particular, could not make a shot. They shot 31% for the game. At one point, I think they were at 22%. Uh, they were 5 for 23 from behind the arc. Maryland played good defense, and Maryland's been at times a good defensive team, and at other times they haven't been um, against certain styles of, of teams. Um, but really, Northwestern's inability to make a bucket made this game a blowout. You know, pretty much never in doubt. I was wrong about that. I predicted a close game last night. I, I saw the point spread at 7.5. I thought it was a little bit short. I thought we were in for a tight game. I'm glad we weren't. I was right about Texas laying a point and a half last night uh, to Kansas. They won uh, going away. And the other game I liked that, that I didn't mention, I did not mention, 
um, was uh, I did like NC State uh, with a short number, and they ended up covering against Virginia. I, I was gun-shy about that because I love Notre Dame against Virginia on Saturday. Virginia is just a difficult team to bet against. But anyway, um, I also liked Northwestern last night. And believe it or not, yeah, I played Northwestern last night, <laughs> plus the number. Uh, it was never in doubt. And that was a happiness hedge, too. I was I was happy losing that, that wager. Um, Maryland uh, pulled away late. You know, they didn't have Cowan. There were some cheap fouls on Cowan um, in terms of, you know, total minutes. You know, Cowan probably played the fewest number of minutes I've seen him play in a long time. He played 19 minutes because of the foul trouble. Um, they got out on the break a little bit more. It's still my biggest, you know, pet peeve when it comes to Maryland. I want to see him run more. You know, when they dominate, or, you know, l- last night when you – when you dominate a team rebounding-wise, in part because the other team's continuing to miss shots, and part of that I'll, I'll, I'll attribute to Maryland's defense, you just have to push tempo more. It's where Maryland is at their best, and they will make mistakes. A lot of teams you know, will get too fast, and they'll throw it away, or they'll turn it over. I want to see more possessions in a game. I want to see more shot attempts uh, in a game. Um, and uh, they still don't have enough shot attempts in a game for me. Um, I, I mentioned this the other day. They're 12th. Uh, out of 14 teams in the Big Ten, they should they should be getting more shot attempts, more possessions uh, per game than they do. Um, but the ball moved well last night. Bruno Fernando, bottom line, was a beast again. I mean, 22 points, 10 rebounds. He was nine for 16 from the floor, and of the seven shots he missed, four of them were easy. Four or five of them were easy looks. He just missed them. Like he short armed a couple of jump hooks, um, missed on a spin move hard to the bucket. But there are moves he's starting to make with the ball facing the bucket, he's got a great low post game, that NBA scouts are drooling watching. He is uh, a lock now, an absolute lock to be a first-rounder in in June. I don't like to think about that because I want to enjoy him as a college player for my team for as long as I can. Uh, And he had 22-10. and He's an absolute beast as a rebounder. It's really difficult with him in the game to offensive rebound uh, if you're the opponent. And Northwestern had a big dude that, uh, the, uh, number five, um, pardon, uh, you know, he's 6'8", 240, 245, something like that. Um, Bruno, you know, Bruno's a million times better. Uh, Stick Smith bounced back last night, good game. Uh, and Eric Eric Ayala, you cannot leave him open. He's actually a good long-range shooter. And Daryl Morcel, keep shooting. I've got no problem with you taking open shots. Shoot them and shoot them confidently. You give the team so much more than offense. Everybody recognizes that. And yeah, he makes some bad plays every once in a while. Some some dumb passes sometimes in traffic. But don't pass on those shots. I want to see Marcel. I want to see Wiggins. I want to see Sorrell Smith. I want to see Cowan. I want to see Ayala. I want to see the big guys, especially Sticks. Uh, Jalen Smith from Beyond the Arc, don't pass on those open looks. Uh, Ricky Lindo, don't pass on an open three. He passed twice when the ball had reversed, I think at least on one possession, two times. He's got a a wide open look, and he didn't shoot it. Uh, Get those shots up. Sometimes they're the best looks you'll get in a possession. But it was a good win, a necessary win for Maryland. I thought they could have won the game by 30, and they were up by 24, 25, 26, you know, late in the second half. Um, they have a monster game Friday night at Wisconsin. Wisconsin's ranked. Maryland hasn't beaten a ranked team on the road. They have not uh, beaten a ranked team on the road 
in the Mark Turgeon era. I believe that's the statistic. Right, Corvin? Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. So they've got a chance Friday night to beat Wisconsin on the road as, a, as the 24th-ranked team in the country, um, a Wisconsin team that's won four in a row, including wins over Michigan and last night on the road at Nebraska. Uh, the last game they lost was to the Terps, um, a game in which Maryland controlled most of the way, and then Wisconsin made a big run late. Big game, 9 o'clock Friday night. I'm assuming it's a Fox Sports 1 game, FS1 game, uh, and uh, big game in the Big Ten. You know, you look at the Big Ten standings, the Illinois loss is going to be one of those you look back on, and it may be the difference between finishing second and finishing fourth or fifth or something like that. Who knows? Uh, Maryland right now is uh, in fourth place in the Big Ten behind Purdue, Michigan, and Michigan State with a lot of big games coming up. You know, I, I look at Maryland's schedule and I see, you know, home games against Purdue, Ohio State, and Michigan, and then Minnesota to close the season. But you got a Purdue game on February 12th, uh, 6.30 start, hate those. And then a, a Michigan game on the weekend, late afternoon CBS game uh, on March 3rd. That right now looks like it has the possibility to be one of those special days uh, in terms of what Xfinity will be like on that day. But you got more opportunities. If you haven't been out to see this team, Purdue coming up, Ohio State coming up at home, Michigan at home, Minnesota at home, um, you know, this is a team that, that still has a chance to have a really good season despite last week's results. The Michigan State loss, not a big deal. Uh, the Illinois loss, painful. Uh, as far as the Wizards go, didn't see the game last night because I was at the Maryland game, but I did certainly read about this comeback. You know, the Wizards were down in the fourth quarter. At one point in the fourth quarter, I think they trailed by 27. Was it 27 or 25 in the fourth quarter? Uh, hold on here. They were down, um, in the fourth quarter by 23 at one point, 23 with, with 651 to go 25. I'm sorry. Here it is. They're down 25 points with 658 left in the fourth quarter. They were down 15 with three and a half to go. They were down, uh, where is it? They were down 11 with 42 seconds to go. And they had a chance with the ball down three to tie the game at the end. Uh, so I, I didn't see it. I can't spend a lot of time talking about it. I just will tell you this. Can't lose to Cleveland. You know, if you want to be the eight seed, eight seed or seven seed, these are the games you got to win. Um, you got to beat Cleveland. I don't care if it's on the road or not. You know, they've got three or four games in a row coming up at home, but Milwaukee's one of them. But I think they've got Atlanta and maybe Indiana without Oladipo now. You know, it would have been nice had they gotten Cleveland, come home, gotten a couple of those. Uh, but uh, not a good loss for the Wizards, who really are struggling on the road uh, this year. Um, they've got one of, I think they've got one of the worst road records uh, in the league. They are 6-20 right now away from home. Not good enough. And now they're you know three and a half out of the eighth spot. I think they were only a game and a half the other day. Uh, all right, that's it uh, on that. Let's uh, tell you about Window Nation, and then we'll bring uh, Jimmy Patsos in, one of my favorite people uh, and one of the smartest people uh, in, in sports. Window Nation um, is a big fan of the podcast. I've talked about Harley and Aaron and Eric forever. They are smart entrepreneurs. 
Um, they listen to the show, and I promise you as someone who has had Window Nation install windows in my home that you won't go wrong by giving them a call. Home show season is just getting started, and so is the home show savings event from Window Nation. Turn your home into a show place. Window Nation wants to bring the home show savings right to your door with free windows, but you must hurry. This offer ends on Sunday. Call them today. Mention Home Show Promo. You'll get two free windows for every two you buy. Buy four, get four free. There is no limit. Plus, for a limited time only, get 0% financing for 18 months. Call today. Get educated on the newest models and latest innovations demonstrated right in the comfort of your own home. Absolutely free. You'll get factory incentives. Plus, once a year, Home Show discounts from the company that has installed over 450,000 windows and more than 80,000 homes, including mine. So let's get the show on the road. Now through Sunday, get two free windows for every two you buy, plus 0% financing. Call Window Nation at 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. That's 866-90-NATION or windownation.com and tell them that I sent you. All right, let's uh, welcome in Jimmy Patsos, who is one of my favorite people. Um, uh, You've heard Jimmy on the radio show and, uh, you know, lots of radio shows around town, and he's doing work for NBC Sports Washington, a lot of Wizards stuff, and he's working for Under Armour. Um, and he's one of my favorite people because he's he's curious, he's interesting, he's smart, and uh, he's a great guest whenever anybody has him on uh, their show. God, so, I love you. You're my well, favorite. you know I feel that way about you. But but the, the best thing that Jimmy's ever done in the course of his uh, uh, long life at this point, uh, mi- middle-aged man at this point, is he's the greatest bartender in the history of third edition in Georgetown. Well, and that's... I'm never going to shake that, am I? I'm never going to shake that. <laughs> and that's... That's what many of us will remember him for. But of course, a lot of people—you all know Jimmy from being on Gary's staff and and uh, you know and being a part of, of of a lot of those great teams. So, you know, for those that have lost touch a little bit, and I know a lot of people are watching you on NBC Sports Washington break down Wizards games, and 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 you're into that right now. What are you doing? You know, what's your what's your day job? It's fine. It's been an adjustment. You know, it's 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 a transitional thing where. I started helping Kevin Plank. I've known Kevin forever, one of our favorite Washington success stories. He's got Under Armour rolling up here in Baltimore into, uh, you know, it's the third biggest apparel company in the world, however you shake it out. You know, our competitors, Nike and Adidas, have been around a lot longer than us, but we are on their heels in basketball. You know, we have Steph Curry, we have Joel Embiid, we have Dennis Smith Jr., we have Will Barton, who plays for the Nuggets, Terrence Ferguson, who plays for the Oklahoma City Thunder. I'm learning. You know, you want guys wearing your shoes that have high character, that win games, that are in the playoffs, but it's a process. And so I have been out watching colleges because we have, of course, Maryland, UCLA, Notre Dame, Wisconsin, Northwestern, Auburn, South Carolina, Boston College, Seton Hall, St. John's. I go to those games. And then this summer, I was with the grassroots in D.C. and Baltimore with their tremendous, you know, the DMV high school population of players, the success that they've had is unmatched by anybody in the country. So it's a little bit of a connection, Kevin, where you do grassroots, and then I see high schools up at the Gonzaga and St. John's and DeMatha and Paul the Sixth, et cetera. Where does that all connect? And how do kids buy shoes and what do kids like? And, and it's been a learning experience. I really enjoy going on the road, um, seeing the AAU up up close was interesting. There's a lot more good than bad. Sometimes it gets a bad rap. Seeing the NBA Summer League up close, how guys go to the combine, 
where Thomas Herter, I mean, Kevin Herter, Thomas is his dad, and I coached his brother, Thomas. Kevin Herter plays his way into a first-round pick and proves he can play. And on the other hand, Bruno comes back and makes the right decision. You know, some guys have come back from the combine, and people said maybe you should wait another year, and I think Bruno's going to be a first-round pick. So connecting the dots, focusing on college and grassroots, but learning a lot about the NBA, and then doing the Wizards has been fantastic. Chris Miller's good buddy of mine who's teaching me a lot of the ropes. We have Drew Gooden, and they're in the throes of can they make the playoffs. So it's just been an interesting to step away and watch from a professional standpoint as opposed to when you're in the eye of the storm coaching or recruiting, et cetera, and, uh, it's been a learning experience, and I talk to Gary Williams a lot. Um, we have the 100-year anniversary of Maryland basketball. Everyone's coming back for the Michigan game March 3rd. In other words, so I jump around in basketball like I like to jump around in life. So it really piques my interest, and it's been a great learning experience. But the Wizards is the focus now, and they are, um, after losing to Cleveland last night, they're trying to make one of the seventh or eighth playoff spots, and that's one of the topics we'll talk about. You know, you are um, you're a competitive dude. I mean, you, you and Gary together it was always fun watching. And anybody that loves competitors and watching people compete, you know, you guys were were the the top you know shelf of that. And I'm wondering, does does the business that you're in does it satisfy the competitive Jones? Great question. In the NBA, I probably learned early. My wife's like, it's the third game of the Wizards season. You're not on the staff. I know you work for NBC Washington and are close to the team, but go to bed. You know, you're thinking about the loss. You woke up at 4 a.m. and we're talking about the last second play that the Heat got a bucket on us and the last second play that the Raptors, we didn't convert and they did and we're 0-2. She's like, it's not we. That's the Wizards. It's over. Slow down. And you get that, you know, with the Terps, clearly I get a little emotional still when I watch because we'll always be part of the family. And Walt Williams and myself, you know, we discuss stuff because Walt works, or Chris Naki, who does the games. But, you know, Mark Terzian has been great to me. And we're, I'm around the program. Greg Manning, who worked for me for 10 years at Siena, played at Loyola, is on the staff. So you get a little emotional, but you don't stay up all night worrying about the losses. So it's, it's, I'm about halfway removed. That's, that's a very good question, but... I want to see Under Armour basketball win in every phase of the game. I'm really proud we have two All-Stars. I'm really proud we had seven of 24 All-Americans this year. McDonald's All-Americans came from our grassroots program. But the Terps, they have they, they have a special place, brother. I want to see them go to the NCAA Final Four. I want to see them cut down the nets again. And with Bruno and Smith, and they got, they've shown some real promise. And I know everybody gets hiccups. And then the Wizards are... You know, with Wall out, they, at the end of the day, their best players out. But when they play with energy and when they play together and when, you know, if Otto Porter can really step into the six-man role, they can have a chance to make the playoffs and you want to see them make the playoffs. So I'm invested emotionally, but it's not at that level where you're like living and dying with every pass and every shot. And I've learned, that's taken a little bit of an adjustment. Uh, I want to get to Maryland and the Wizards in in more detail, and we'll talk some Super Bowl too in in Patriots, uh, which I'm sure you want to talk about. Flacco coming to the Redskins. (laughs) That's what you should take. Well, I mean, I'm actually a Flacco fan. I may be the only one. I I, I've always said about Flacco. 
I I don't think that if you if you look back at the big games that the Ravens have had over the last ten years, and you look at Flacco's performance in almost every one of them, they were typically his best performances. But anyway, um, I wanted you, you mentioned you know being at high schools, and and you know I've been involved in the high school basketball scene over over many years, coaching and and being involved in it, and. You know, you, you, you're at Gonzaga and you're at DeMatha, you're at the WCAC games, and, and, and the talent in this area, has, has it gotten better? Like, I, I, from when you were recruiting at Maryland and you were recruiting these schools heavily, and, and you did the same at Loyola and Siena uh, as well to a certain degree, has it gotten better? And is there an area anywhere, Jimmy, that's better than this area? And I'm talking about the combined area of D.C. and Baltimore. Yeah, because St. Francis is really good up here and yep. this year. And Mount St. Joseph, who's, you know, Mount St. Joseph is awesome, yeah. Has just handed out players all over. I just saw Eric Adkins, who came from there, who played at Notre Dame. It's, it's, it's a unique bond. In other words, you go around the country and everyone's like, oh, how's this guy doing it at the WCAC? How are the twins doing at Wilson? Or how's everything going? Or how's Justin Lewis up here at Polly, who I think is like a Ron Artest-type player? I really hope he goes to one of our schools, specifically Maryland, would be great, but because he's, he's, he's got an intangible thing. And that's what I was going to lead into, the intangible, the teaching, the coaching. The WCAC has as good a coaches in the country at the bottom of the league. Forget right. about the top of Mike Jones, DeMatha, Steve Turner, what Glenn's doing at Paul VI, and all the way down. It's just a tremendous place to watch basketball. And I've had people from Philadelphia sit next to me and go, Philly's down this year, or New York go, New York's good, but the kids leave and go to Oak Hill or Montverde or IMG and stuff, or Chicago, say, the, the, the just was there, and their, their league's down a little, or this league is not down, and it might be better, but the coaching's great, the programs are great, kids stay here, they don't transfer out very rarely, you know, if they had anything, they may do a fifth year, and it's... But it's the coaching, and I think that goes back. Like, you got to give Morgan Wooten. Yeah, right. You know, it just it fell off his tree, and it and it made everybody catch up. You know, you weren't just going to catch Morgan, so you had to become better coaches. And there's recruiting now. You know, there'll be seventh and eighth grade games. We have a top forty thing at at, at Under Armour. You know, we have a little Under Armour circuit, and kids are trying to get on that circuit. But there are high school coaches recruiting seventh and eighth graders at our events. And that's become different. That's what's changed. High school coaches, they always did a little bit of recruiting, or, hey, you want to come here because it's a good school. They're actively recruiting 6th, 7th, and 8th graders. Therefore, they get better players, and the kids are advanced, and they can really play the game, and coaches are doing situations. And a lot of these coaches are really in it to, to win. And, and I don't say that in a bad way. They're just, these, this isn't roll the ball out, or it's a second job so I can pay for my week down in Ocean right. City type thing. This is like, this is their profession. This is what they do. And they're excellent at it. So it's a high level. And I encourage people, it's all heating up. You know, the, how's it going to go in the WCAC? Who's going to win the Baltimore Catholic League? You know, the, the city title game will be impressive again because Wilson's really good. These things are bred from an area that just has continually gotten to be better and better. And I think that that's really a tribute to the players, the parents, but the coaches is what I would give that to. 
Yeah, I think you're so right. I think that the, the, the WCAC is the one league that top to bottom for so long has had the best coaches, and it's probably the best high school basketball league in the country top to bottom. And to your point, they don't all go to Oak Hill and IMG and you know all of the basketball factory schools. You know, you know the thing that's changed, being a born and raised Washingtonian and having grown up here and, you know, when I was a kid, my dad would take me to DeMathis, St. John's games, you know, when they were bigger. I, I, I remember watching Hawkeye Whitney play Jojo Hunter in a DeMatha Mackin game, that. you know, in, in the in the mid to late 70s. And, and the thing that's changed, Jimmy, completely is what you were referring to. It's the recruiting. When, when I was in high school, not every talented public school kid left. Now, virtually, they are all picked up and they're in the Catholic League, they're in the WCAC, they're in the IAC, they're you know in private school situations, and it's created this huge difference between public school sports, basketball and football in particular, and the private school sports. I've witnessed it up close. I've watched some of the scrimmages, you know, before the regular season starts, and they're just they're it's like it's like varsity and the freshman team. When you compare them, and for me as a public school kid, I, I've always been in recent years disappointed about that because there's an atmosphere in these public school games with cheerleaders, with bands, that you don't get all the time at the private schools. Nope, I would agree with that, and, and, and there's nothing wrong. The public school game is good. I do. I will be critical of, I don't really know who runs it anymore, and I don't want to say anybody's name, but they fell behind about 10 years ago when they had to make decisions to let the really good public schools play more than 22 games. They wanted to make everybody make the playoffs, and that's fine. I mean, that's the world we live in. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you right away, you want to play your basic little schedule, or do you want to go play nationally? you want to go to tournaments? Do you want to play 32 games or 22 games? Do you want to travel? Do you want to go to Vegas for a tournament? Do you want to go to the City of Palms tournament? Do you want to go to the Chick-fil-A down in South Carolina tournament? They have not adapted the rules of the state system enough. And I know it's not an easy one, but let the kids play a little more games. And if, and if the team's really good, and that's the problem of how you regulate that, but like when teams are really good, and I remember that was the beginning of Dunbar, the end of Dunbar and Baltimore right. was when the state legislation and the city rules said, you guys can't go to these tournaments anymore. Well, sorry, because if you go to St. Francis, you can go to like two of the coolest tournaments around. They they played Memphis East. They've played Simeon. They went and played, you know, a couple powerhouses. People go up to DeMatha just went up to Springfield to the Hall of Fame for two days. Kids want to play that. Coaches are going to tell them that. They're going to get more exposure. And what it leads me to tell you, Kevin, is forget the stars in Baltimore and D.C. That's easy. They're going to go where they're going to go, Clemson, Virginia, Maryland, Duke, wherever. But the secondary and third kids get seen, and all of a sudden they get a full scholarship to Siena. Or all of a sudden, like Gary Williams said, he made his living at AU and BC off of macking kids that were the third best player. Right. And in other words, you see those kids, and they get to go play at places like American, places like Loyola, places like George Washington, et cetera. And it's okay to have the second, third, and fourth best players on those teams because the programs are so strong. So it's a win-win for us as college and coaches that are recruiting to come to these games. And the travel part and playing in the high-end tournaments is something that these young players want to do. Plus, it's fun. Who doesn't want to travel? You're like, you feel like an NBA player. You feel like a star. and You're playing in arenas, and you're on TV now. And So 
the Maryland state system, I don't know much about Virginia's system, but the Maryland state system has to allow these guys to do a little more of that. Then you have a chance to keep them, you know, the young men or young ladies in women's basketball. Carol Lawson's a friend of mine. But the players want to play more games. The players want to play in these elite tournaments. And that is besides the coaching, besides the gear, besides the great schedule and the great education you get. Because, hey, Montgomery County's got as good school, as good as academic schools as anywhere in the country. Yeah. But if I can't go play all these teams, I'll just take a little train ride and go to Good Counsel, Sidwell Friends, or wherever I have to go. And I think that's been a factor. Um. All right, let's uh, let's get to some hoops. Although, real quickly before we get to the hoop, the hoops. One of the things that um, those of you who know Jimmy and you know fo- have followed his career, when he's taken his teams to you know road games in places where there are you know historical lessons to be learned, he's always taken advantage of that over the years. And I'm going to ask you in a moment what your favorite all time trip was with the team. But I saw you tweet it out. When you were at Duke Notre Dame the other day, you decided to take a, a side trip to the home of the Jackson Five in South Bend, or not? In How South- can you not? Yeah, it's in Gary, Indiana. In Gary, Indiana, Indiana right? You know? Look, I'm like John Travolta in that movie, Michael. I'm like, hey, world's largest frying pan, or here's a ball of string <laughs> over here, largest. But why wouldn't you go? I found out I was rare. As I see coaches, I probably should have done today's day and age. You know, guys are watching tape. Guys are getting rest. It's a long season. I just, I always like shoot around at 10 or 11 in the morning and then let's go do something because you can still get, you know, then you eat and you get your sleep. I just thought it's fun to show the kids the world, you know. The Lorraine Hotel where Martin Luther King was shot was just an emotional moment. Um, Going to the church down in Charleston, you know, where the shootings happen. And I hate to bring up two things that are negative with shootings, but those, that's historical. We coach a lot of Were you playing – when you when you went to the Lorraine, were you playing Memphis? Yes, we played Memphis. I, we, we, we did that twice. I okay. did that with Loyola and Siena. You go play Memphis, you do that. That's probably the – you know, the, the, the 9-11 memorial, and I knew two people who were in that situation. So that, that those, are, those are touching moments that kids need. To, and then you talk about how it happened and, you know, how the world changed. Those things, but then you know, Michael Jackson one was was a fun one just for me to see. But the, key, the the young men, the players, they they might not say they enjoy it right at the time, but they do. You know, Niagara Falls up close and in person is incredible. You know, and how it changed the power industry and Edison, and that's why the car's named Tesla. Tesla lived in Niagara Falls. It's it's unbelievable to see that in person. I just think the players should see that. And, Talking about, you know, going to, to see Google. We saw Google when it topped $100 on the Chicago trade. We should have all bought it. <laughs> you know, teaching the players that the market opens at 930 and closes at 4, that the commodities market is only open from 11 to 1, and they're trading soybeans and orange juice and things like that. It's very interesting to see the kids' reactions, and then some guys go into that business, you know, going to studios to see – you know, a, a, a news broadcast up per, close in person, et cetera, seeing Scott Van Pelt. Those are all things I think the young men like to see, the managers like to see, even the assistant coaches who haven't done it. Robert Frost's tour when you went to Dartmouth, you know, how it all happened. Well, of, of course he wrote Walking Through the Woods in the Beautiful Snow because that's what it looks like there. Right. Those are things you just try to – we're about educating kids. It's probably has a lot to do with my Catholic University Division Three mentality. You know, it's not all basketball all the time. And I just always enjoyed that, you know. And if I had become a high school teacher, I was going to be a history teacher. So, you know, after my 
first grades of accounting and microeconomics came in. Jack Bruin was quick to point out, so you're working camp this summer. <laughs> We're going to switch to history. You're going to be a teacher and a high school coach, and you're going to make money on the weekends bartending, and I got your job at Georgetown. <laughs> Back then, awesome. think of that, Kevin. I, he brought me in and told me this is how your life should go. And I said, okay, coach, you did it. Told my mother, and my mother was like, if that's what Coach Bruin thinks best, you should do it. <laughs> you know, nowadays, nowadays, there'd be a lawsuit. You know, you're telling my kid he can't be the CEO of, you know, a company, and I'm going to sue you. It's, it, was, it was a different era. Coach Bruins just said, you, you know, your math skills are a little low, and I don't think Wall Street's for you. I think you should do this. And I listened to him, and thank God I did because it's been a great journey. You know, the, the experiences that you, you know, the exposure that you, you gave to, to all of your players with all of these trips. I mean, you know this about young people. You've, you dealt with them for so, so many years. It may not sink in. It may not be appreciated in the moment. But for 90% of them, it will be, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now. And they'll remember that stuff. Um, uh, you yeah, know. yeah, that's that's your job. You know, you go to Montreal with a team you're supposed to. You go to, we took an all-star team to China with the Great Walls, one thing. But to see the terracotta soldiers buried under the ground for all those years, it's these armies of clay figures that are in, in the, I run into players that I took on that tour, and they still talk about stuff like that. So, you know, going to Marilyn Monroe's grave when we were in L.A. and things like that. Just you just I'm a culture guy, you know. And, yeah. And Americana culture is is big in our in our lives and the political stuff, you know. That's why I said the MLK stuff, teaching that lesson, going to where he you know, he gave the speech. Remember George Raveling has the actual speech, talking about Bayard Rustin, you know, a black gay man back at the time that wrote the MLK speech, how hard it was for him. Then you go down and you see the Vietnam memorial wall and what that did to this country and you know, united yet divided. Things like that. I just want them to understand how it's going because sometimes the uh, kids today can be a little aloof. You know, they, 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 they have more information than we ever had, but I'm not sure if they're always as dialed in as we are, and that's kind of what I try to make them understand. Yeah. Uh, your your tweet, though, from Gary, Indiana, in front of the Jackson 5, uh, you know, home, <laughs> first of all, it looked pretty cold, but the question that I had is what was that – board attached to that iron rod fence what was that what, you you can sign it you know you can sign oh, it okay. I don't know how often they change it you can sign it there's really two little houses they're gated off it's at the end of a dead end street and then there's a little park behind it but just to see that all those kids came out of that little house and that you know joe jackson whatever he did he drove them to be the most successful pop stars from a young age all the way you know it's hard to be a kid star these days and sustain it all the way through when Janet Jackson's success came out of this little house, you know, in this little town in Gary, Indiana is not the most flourishing, beautiful place in the world, but that's where the King of Pop came from. You know, it was just, it was just interesting to see and his music still resonates today. I'm a music guy. So when you're on the way to Notre Dame and I'm going to see Digger Phelps and I'm going to see Jay Billis and I can't wait to watch Zion. Why not stop and see where Michael Jackson was born and raised? All right, let's talk some basketball. Let's let's stick with college. You've you've seen and you've been to a, a, a several Maryland games this year. Um, I think, and I've had Naki on the show the last couple of weeks. I had Walt on the show last week. I think it's Turgeon's most talented team and potentially his best team. Do you agree? Yes, I mean he's had some talented teams because he had Suleiman and those guys. You know that went to the Sweet Sixteen. Yep. They were pretty mellow. Could really get it. You know. Cowan is more of a two-guard to me than a one-guard is my concern. But I really like IL. I said this on a radio interview. When I get on that bus, if I'm the coach, of course I'm looking for Bruno and Sticks, and then Cowan's my guy. 
the fourth guy I'm making sure is on the bus is Ayala. You know, is he on? Because we have to, we need him to win games. He's really poised for a freshman. He shoots the ball well off the catch. He's got some size, but he's got swagger and savvy, and he's not afraid. You know, Wiggins is coming. He doesn't always do it. You know, he's a young guy, and Marcel's more of a Swiss Army knife type guy. I don't know if he shoots it quite as well. I love Sherell Smith and Lindo, Ricky Lindo. That's when grassroots is good. Ricky Lindo didn't get seen that much last year at Wilson. Plays on a, for DC Premier, who wins the Under Armour grassroots tournament. You know, we have like a whole NCAA-type bracket. Now, AAU is actually much better than I thought as I watch it up close. And now, in the old days, you just play games to play. Now there's like right. a whole tournament format, Sweet 16. Ricky Lindo was like a glue guy that played really well for his DC Premier team. And the twins, you know, the twins who were going to Maryland were on there. There was a lot of talented players out there. Nico Mannion, who plays for West Coast Elite, he's going to Arizona. Brian Antoine and Scotty Lewis who are going to, they're going to Florida and Villanova, respectively. This is like, this is like an interesting thing, the grassroots, as it goes. Ricky Lindo emerged from that. He showed he could play. Maybe he was a little bit of a late bloomer. And I liked his decision. And I thought Kevin Brodus was the lead on it and said, why don't you come play now? Don't go to prep school. Now, we don't know how many minutes we're going to have, but you could earn them. And clearly, Bruno's going to leave for the NBA, in my opinion, which is great that he didn't. You know, he went to the combine. Right. They told him to come back. He's now a first-round pick, clearly, in my, in my opinion. Lindo's going to have a lot of experience for next year. I think that this Terps team can go far. They have to shoot the ball well, and they have to get ready for every opponent. Clearly, they took Illinois you know, whether they took them lightly or they didn't believe. I know it was a strange time to go to Madison Square Garden, but bad time. I'm just worried about their seed. Bad, bad timing to go there. Yeah, I mean, well, how, how do you get – I mean, I was, I, was, I was really upset before the game and then on Monday. You can't give up a late January conference game to go play in New York. You play that game in November against a non-conference opponent. If you want to play – and we both know it. There are a ton of Maryland alum in the New York, New Jersey, you know, uh, Fairfield County, Connecticut, area, but that's that's a November non-conference game. I couldn't agree with you more. However, being in those rooms, you know, and I was never in the ACC rooms, but I've been in the MAC rooms where, hey, this is a chance for us to go here and play. Or you have to go to AdvoCare down and play all the biggies in, in Orlando for three days and get your brains beat out. You sit there and the commissioners and the ADs are in there and they say, who wants to go to Madison Square Garden and give up a home game? And who wants to go to the United Center and give up a home game? And who wants to go to Indianapolis? And it's May, and you're tan, and you probably had a couple drinks the night before <laughs> with somebody. And you're like, oh, well, we have a lot of alums, and I'll take that game. And it's too, That game was probably done in 2016 in May, yeah. if that makes sense to everybody listening. And so you're like, this isn't that big a deal. We'll be fine. Our fans will be there till you lose and realize you would have definitely won had you played at home, I agree. You know, with your students back and stuff, and but and that's and that's one of the you know one of the criticisms of Maryland, and I'll, and I'll jump on the bandwagon a little is the lack of scheduling. And if you play Kentucky in the Garden in November, then maybe you say I don't have to do that. But Terz is very cautious with his schedule. Nothing wrong with that. He's got 17 wins. Um, he played Virginia at home and Seton Hall at home. I know they were tough losses. I'd like to see him play. Here's here's one of my things. It's so easy to fix the schedule, Kevin. Both them and Georgetown need to play each other. And I don't mean that rivalry-wise or image or attendance-wise, the energy, the buzz, national television game, the first week of December, they both need it, in my opinion. 
What do you think? 100%. I've advocated. I mean, I, I, I used to have this argument with Big John at the radio station who would, who would say, you know, you know that they didn't want to play Maryland for a long period of time. And, and, I would sure. say, and, I, and he would say, you know, go back and look at the U.S. Air Arena game where Gary, where, where you guys won. It was the first big win, you know, of the Gary yeah, era in yes. overtime. And, and he said the, the building wasn't full. And I said it was played on, at 12 noon the day after Thanksgiving and Maryland was coming off probation. I said that game's a sellout every single year. You switch it back and forth. Personally, as a Maryland guy, I wouldn't even have a problem Jimmy, if they played it at Capital One every year and you just split the tickets down the middle, you split the revenue down the middle, you play it on the Saturday where, you know, the Army Navy game is on. You don't want to you don't want to he- go head to head with the NFL on a Sunday in December. You don't want to go head to head with a big college football championship Saturday deal, you know, on Saturday. It's the it's the week of, of Army Navy and you play it there at a six o'clock start on national TV. You give everybody a chance to go down and spend the day in China. Chinatown, Maryland fans, Georgetown fans, it would become, in my view, I've always felt this, if it were a traditional thing, you know, one of the top five to, to seven or eight dates on the on the local sports calendar. I don't know why they don't do it. You, you have my vote, and believe me. Okay, so you only get 16,000. Well, it's a lot, lot better than the seven or eight Georgetown was getting. And, and, that's, and that's being generous. November and December. You'll, se- you'll sell it out every year. You'll sell it out. Yeah, and, and it's like Cincinnati Xavier. You've already said it. You have to do it every year so it becomes an event. The Georgetown and Maryland guys that are friends go to dinner at the Palm or wherever they're going to go or down in Chinatown and it becomes an event like you just said. And it's also Cincinnati Xavier because there's very few rivalries locally like that aren't in the same conference. In other words, USC, UCLA, same conference. Cal, right. Stanford, you know, so and it's and it's in a you know St. John Seton Hall same conference. It's one of the few ones that's really viable to just take right off. But I do agree with you. Play it on exactly the same day, pretty much at the same time. I, I'd like to still see that you know Maryland's got to get a home game one from a lot of it, but that's okay. If you had to go down there, there becomes issues like whose floor is down, and you can put the Wizards floor down. Yeah, but if that's I, what you got to do. But in other words, it answers both of those teams right now have asterisks next to their names with not a good – look, there's three ways to make the tournament, Kevin. You're a smart guy. There's the preseason, like Arizona State did last year when you beat Kansas and you beat this team. There's three – you can do it in the preseason, then you got to win your conference, and then how do you play in the conference tournament? You know, if you go three for three, you have like a top seed. You go two for three, you have like a four through nine seed. If you only do one of the above, you're sneaking in on the bubble. Both Georgetown and Maryland – Right now, the albatross around both of them, and I know Georgetown went to Illinois and all that, but it's their schedule. Therefore, you both help each other's. You both get rid of the albatross by playing each other. And so what if you lose? It doesn't really hurt you because you're both supposed to be really good and get the RPI ranking. Yeah, I, I, well, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I've had um... – I've had this conversation on radio and on the podcast about their scheduling. And look, you know, I know, I know what Mark will say now. We've got twenty Big Ten games, including two of them, He's you know, in, in, in December. And and I and I and I get that. But you know, the Seton Hall game. There are a couple of things. The Seton Hall game was played eleven days after their previous game. You, you, they they played the fewest number of times during that finals break 
of any team in the Big Ten. And 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 it was on a Saturday where the the Redskins were scheduled to play. The Ravens were playing. It's like you got a you know a three quarter filled building. It, it, those are the games you got to try to avoid. You know, it, just like this Illinois thing, I completely agree with you. They beat Illinois if that game's at Xfinity. You know, th- I think they've had opportunities in the past where the start times. You Look at Maryland, Jimmy. It's the only big city team in the in the uh, in the Big Ten. I mean, Minneapolis is a bigger city, and in, in Northwestern's in Evanston, Chicago. But I'm talking about major traffic issues city. I don't know why they can't go to the Big Ten and say we can't play a six thirty or seven o'clock game. And if you're going to make us do it, do it when our students are back. Let us g- g- have these games when our yeah, students you, are back. There's a lot, you know, there's, 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 there's TV teams now, so they got to get that. Then there's TV, and then we're the East Coast, so they want us to play because, remember, Chicago, which runs the league, is an hour behind. So there, there is a lot of stuff that goes into that. But I'm, I'm more – look, if Kentucky and John Calipari or Kansas, where Mark played, come into this building, everyone will get there. You know, that's just the way the world works now. Everybody's, it's a top-heavy world. That's Everybody true. And I, I don't disagree with that. They'll all be there. And, and if you get the right, you get the right, you know, act. Beyonce comes, we'll find a way to get down to the arena. Okay, <laughs> but the Georgetown thing is just a natural for the whole area and for the longevity of, of, of like you said, the area. But it and there's there's no travel. It's easy travel. It's it's a great game. And then you know he's got to return Seton Hall next year. Seton Hall's three time MC. I have no problem with that. The Virginia game. I'm glad we played Virginia. I was there. It was a great atmosphere. It was a great atmosphere. Bentley's before the game. Yep. Everybody was all fired up. I just want them to see – with 20, Mark's right. I just want to see one more. You know, they didn't play in a tournament. I liked going to the Maui. You're going to play two big teams. Why haven't we been to Maui in forever? Why haven't we been you know, to Maui? I don't think they're bad. You know, you have to take the challenge of – but those are tougher games. I don't if care. Gets, and Mark gets nervous about – I right, but he's trying to win and – Build the program and make sure he has young. He's got a young team. He wants them to get confidence. But I think it's time to step the schedule up just one notch. And like I said, me and you are in agreement. Georgetown answers all those questions, and it's an easy travel game. It's an exciting game. TV wants it. You know, Bill Raftery will be doing that game on Fox if that's what you want. Right. That that's how you got to do it. Will they will they do it next year? I I don't know what their schedule's like. I, I there is twenty league games, and that's tough. That that's one of the things that the twenty league games does. Is a boost your RPI. It's now called the NCAA net rankings, yep. and it gives you some more points towards your, you know, making the NCAA, which is the goal. But if you win those big games, your seeding becomes better. And it's just Gary Williams and I. I used to look at Gary and say, "Hey, we're playing Kentucky. We had one home and one away every year. In Oklahoma, Kentucky, stuff like that." Gary Williams is unbelievable. I'd say, hey, Kentucky's got everybody back. They're really good. And he'd yell at me and say, yeah, that's going to be great when we beat them. It shows you how good we're going to be. And I'm like, you got to kind of have that edge of that's why we're doing it. <laughs> yeah. You know? And, 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 but it's, it's the Georgetown thing would be a natural. And then, you know, whether it's Kansas, Kentucky, or, you know, a Texas with Shaka Smart, or, you know, when UCLA gets their situation straight. Now, you don't want to do what UCLA did and play too many. Steve Alford got fired. Their schedule is out of control. They went to Cincinnati, they went to Ohio State, they played Kentucky, they played Carolina, they played two, you can't, and Turge is right on that. It's just, I just want one more really national game, you know, one home, one away every year, and then you get your Big Ten ACC matchup, and then you kind of go with it. So it's it's a combination of things, but yeah. I'm with you. There's, there's a lot of factors that go in it. You know, um, I know you know this 
intuitively. But when you just said something a minute and a half ago, when you said, you know, I walked into Gary's office and I said, Kentucky's got everybody coming back. And, and, I, and any Maryland fan, longtime Maryland fan, can see and envision this exchange of Gary looking at you, probably with a couple of F-bombs, saying, <laughs> saying good, we'll, we'll, we'll effing beat them. That'll be a really good win for us. And that, honestly, you know, for people like me, that's the stuff that makes, you know, the hair on the back of your neck stand up a little bit and just you yearn for those days. But anyway, enough nostalgia here for a moment on this. Particular... No, and, that, and that's what I mean. When you find Calipari and Campy and say, we can play them. This guy Calipari is onto something. There's a lot of energy around their program. Gary's like, good, let's go kick their ass. Yeah. You know? I'm like, all well, right. But we got them in the, t- like, we, we got them in the tournament. And, and, God, and they come walking out with like uh, Canby and Lou Rowe and them, and I'm like, why do we schedule this game? So I understand both sides of it, but when you do win, and it's for the fans, the fans love those early games oh. that are that are like that, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um. Real quickly on this particular team here, first of all, I think Turgeon's doing a good job with this team, and I think that the the development of Fernando has been just remarkable from, from one year to to the next. I mean, his patience, his footwork, his everything. But here's my one gripe. And I just want your reaction to it. I don't think Maryland plays fast enough. I think they they dominate the glass in most of these games. They block shots. Uh, they've got a chance to run a lot more than they do. You and Gary and, and all of Gary's teams, he wanted to try to score 85-90 against everybody. This team is fine walking the ball up, playing grinded-out Big Ten-style basketball. And I just think sometimes against these lesser opponents, we should be throttling some of these teams and even pressuring. Well, I mean, yeah, with this, this, Gary came to, went to practice a couple times, and Turs went to him and I know said, Gary went around more than ever, which is nice, and talked about the press. And just we're all back. We got Turs's back. You know, it's Under Armour School. We're all in on the family thing. It's the hundred year anniversary. On March second, there's an event in Baltimore, and then on the third, everybody comes back, alumni game, luncheon, et cetera. When we play Michigan, you can play fast. I think you gave the answer. The Big Ten may have caused some of that. You know, Turge knows what he's doing. The ACC was a run-and-gun league. You were not. I mean, once in a while, Barnes and Clemson and those guys could could, could roll you by playing their slowdown game. But overall, you had to keep up with the Joneses in every way you know, possible, whether it's recruiting, image, how you travel, marketability, and also scoring. You had to score to beat Carolina. You had to score to beat Duke. Wake Forest could really score. Georgia Tech running gun. You had to, you know, and that's Jeff Jones will tell you. He kind of grinded it out in Virginia. And at the end of the day, that may have gotten him a little bit, you know, when when they finally let him go. And Jeff's doing a great job at Old Dominion. Great job. Gary Williams always said that if you play slow in the ACC and don't win, they will have your ass because everyone else is playing fast and winning. Now, if you play fast and lose, they can say, okay, at least he's trying and all this. If you play slow and lose, fans don't like that, you know, and, and that was an ACC. The Big Ten mentality, and Tertian, hey, he signed up to come on to the ACC. Right, exactly. So he's handled the Big Ten adjustment very well, but it is it, it is what it is. Michigan's going to grind you. Michigan State's going to grind you. Ohio State, you know, Indiana with Crean was a little bit thuggy. Wisconsin plays a slow pace. Fran McCaffrey, who's a good friend of mine who I followed at Siena, who helped me get the job. Iowa. He's yeah. the one guy that really tries to play. Yeah, fast. he does. But, 
It, it is, but it, but it's, it's it's a fight every night to play fast. So it's, I think Izzo's playing that, fast now. I think Izzo's that's playing fair. fast now. He's got that point guard. He's got that point guard. Right. Turns has done a good job of. Collins is not a true point guard. He reminds me of Andre Collins, who led. When I had Andre Collins at Loyola, JJ Redick led the. Adam Morrison was one. JJ Redick was two, and Andre was three in scoring in the country. 28, 27 points a game. Collins really a two guard, so you got to hide that a little. Maybe that's why he doesn't want him pushing the ball as much. But Bruno, get it. I, I, my thing is, as long as Bruno touches the ball every every. No, touch, I hear you on that. I hear you on that. He'll I, pass it. He's passing. Yeah. I just like when he touches the ball, and I, and he's got to get a few more shots. Jalen Smith's the next guy that I think turns his bringing along slowly but brilliantly, and I, I expect him to have a big February. And I I I'm assuming at this point that. The lean with sticks, Smith, Jalen Smith, would be to come back for a sophomore year. Definitely. He should go to the combine, have a good time, get the gear. Under Armour runs the combine out there. We own the combine. Go have a good time in Chicago, get measured, do all that, and then play well. The fear is that you don't hope he does what Herter does, and he shoots the ball well, and he's a little taller than they thought, and he gives great answers, and he's a very smart kid. And all of a sudden, everybody's like, Kevin Herter is 6'7", <laughs> not 6'5". I just saw Zion Williams. He's really good. He's electric. He's unbelievable. He's six five. Okay, I'm giving him six six max. Okay, he's not as tall as Rodney Rogers was. That's that <laughs> Rodney be, Rogers. That could be a Wake Forest oh, reference. Um, oh, he was Rodney. That that can be tough, you know. So, but I think Stick should go to the combine and see what they say. But he should come back and then be a All American and be a lottery pick. So, what are you saying about Zion? That that that, that will that six Just five not six seven. So what what do you think that will mean and how that will be um, viewed? Have to take him number one because of his name. It's just the Zion factor. He's electric. He can score. He can pass. He's very left-handed. I don't know if he shoots it well enough yet. He's six five. You know, Charles Barkley was six six with long arms and had an unbelievable athletic ability. So is Zion, but not everybody. Clarence Weatherspoon didn't make it. You know, a lot of guys that are a little small in that NBA over eighty two games. You better be able to shoot it. You know, are you long enough? You know, it's not. Here's the thing. Giannis Antetokounmpo is the 15th pick. Okay. Markel Folks, I haven't even seen his name. There's no perfect science, okay, in the NBA. Right. Zion isn't going to go into the NBA and be the next Bill Russell. I'm just telling you that. He's not going to be the next LeBron. It's not going to happen that way because he can't score the ball. But he is a tremendous athlete. He does move his feet defensively. He's a great person. I love his whole image. He just was a little smaller than I thought. And 82 games, as you know, is an interesting, you know, test. You know, it's interesting because the length, the length thing to me is always the, the you know, the real differentiator um, in terms of a sure. physical characteristic, you know. And um, you're right about Barkley. Uh, who do you like that you've seen? I, this guy, Keldon Johnson, that Maryland was on, that he went to Kentucky, he's turning into a monster. And I love the kid from Tennessee, Grant Williams. I don't know if you've seen him play yet. Of course. No, the number one, you know, Barnes, Barnes is, how's, how's Texas doing about Rick Barnes? They miss he, him now, I bet. He's a great coach. Don't you think he's been underrated over the years? Great coach, great guy, and he's smarter than all of us. He, he loves football schools. Clemson, Texas, Tennessee. <laughs> yeah, right. Two weeks after the season, they want to know who's playing quarterback in the spring game. Yep. Great. You know, the message boards are too busy with football to worry about basketball. Uh, he's done a great job. That kid's good. I like Jared Culver from Texas Tech. I spent time down there for three days. I do like Keldon Johnson. He's getting better. I was at Kentucky's practice. 
I went to Kentucky's media day. There was only 170 media there, <laughs> 170. So I, li- I like him. Um, I do – no, I like – look, I take Zion. Hey, the Wizards would be great to have Zion. You know, he's just – he does pass it. He's quick jumper. I just worry about him long term. I mean, I might stay, take Sticks over him for 10-year career. Sticks can really shoot the ball. Yeah, he can. This is a great – he's just got to mature a little bit and get a little older. And he's, In other words, Lonzo Ball is really struggling right now. I mean, do I have to bring up Jan Vesely's name? Right. Yeah. I in mean, other words, in other words, I'm just saying the science of the draft is not. Of course. Perfect. Michael Beasley. Michael Beasley had a lot. Maybe Zion's character and coaching and all that. Jabari Parker doesn't play. They hate Julia Lokifer. I mean, not hate him as a person, as a right. player. There's no easy answer here. But Zion is Zion. It, he, it does have a great image. I hear tremendous things about him. We knew him a little down in South Carolina because Frank Martin's one of our programs down there. He does have all the intangibles and stuff. Can he be the productive player? 100%. He's going to be a good player. Can he be an all-star? Not sure. Not sure right now. All right. Well, you've you've solidified now that you're going to be my NBA draft expert when we get to June. Um, I I, I was out there last year. I'll help you. Uh, we're, we're, I'm, I'm taking so much of your time, but I've got a couple of other things I want to get to. The last exit question on Maryland. What do you think their upside is this year? How far could they go if, they, if things broke right? You know, draw, they shoot it well. How, how what, What's their upside? You Final know? four. they got to throw it inside. Final four. They could beat anybody. I mean, they've showed against Virginia that they caused problems by coming back. Now, I mean, they played – I want to see what they do against Michigan twice. You know, they the first half against Wisconsin, and I just saw Wisconsin. Ethan Hap's a great college player. not sure I dropped him either. Um, they, they can go as far as they want to go. But the, 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 the losses to Illinois, the loss to Seton Hall, who Seton Hall was playing really well at the time. They're struggling now. I just worry about seeding, Kevin. Like, like one through five is all the same. Gary would yell at me right now. But like one through five, you got a chance. You know, at five, you're going to have to beat four. I get worried six ten. I get worried seven eight nine. You know, first of all, your first game's tough. Then your second game's really tough. You know, so the, the, those are things you know to get out of the first weekend. If you get to the second weekend, hey, once you're in the Sweet Sixteen, it's anybody's ball game. Now, because I think when they have time to prepare, they're great. When he has, and they will, they will not take a night off. Young teams, they saw themselves get ranked. They got beat by Michigan State. Okay, they probably thought, okay, we're going to go into Illinois. They stink. They're no good. They were up ten, and you know that happens to young teams. But Terry seems good. Terry does one thing really well. Doesn't seem to make the same mistake twice. In other words, they got caught. So what? They won't get caught again the rest of the year. He'll use that as a teaching tool. Um, you know, they have they haven't had a lot of time to practice because they have so many games in a row. They have their ceiling is is, is high. Yeah. I also think George and I want to give Georgetown some shout outs. I went and saw them play. They lost to St. John's when I went, but I've been watching them on TV. Their backcourt's really good. Ewing can coach. He, this guy's not some just I, you know. I NBA totally agree with you. Line. Yeah, I think they do a good job. Really good job. I think their future's bright. I hope they make the tournament because I think they could do something. Now look, Jay Wright's team is really young, but they've. All of a sudden, got them playing better. Them and Marquette, the rest of the league's a little even. You know, I got to see Michigan in person. Um, USC starting to put together a little run out there. My friend Andy Enfield, yep. the coach. There's some teams, but the Tennessee thing, the SEC, the SEC has done a great job. Dan Leibowitz, they hired him three years ago to become their basketball guy. You know, the SEC's always been football. The SEC, 
to me, in the Big 12 with Kansas, Texas Tech, and those guys are the two strongest conferences. I want to see who comes out. But it's do I think the Terps have a shot at making a real noise? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, they got the talent to do it. You know what's in play here? And I mentioned this a few weeks back. You know where the East Regional is this year? Where? D.C., Capital One. And Maryland is eligible to play a Sweet 16 game in Capital One Arena. In fact, uh, Lenardi's, you know, a bracketology thing, he's had, you know, uh, until, the, until the other day when they lost to Illinois, he's had Duke as a one, Maryland as a four in the East Regional. Can you imagine if Maryland figured out a way to win two to get to the second weekend and they were playing in D.C. and the advantage that that would give them? Because we both know what... I'd love to be playing Duke, too. Oh, that would be... See, that's the game I want to see. Oh, me too. Well, we all do. You know who's sneaky good this year is is Carolina's sneaky good, too. They're playing better now. Okay, they had a little hiccups there. They are. They got talent. They got a lottery pick, too. And and he hasn't really taken one and done. You know, it's it's interesting what's going on. (laughs) Yeah, right. Krzyzewski has and... Yeah. And Carolina has. So I'm interested to see. But the Wizards is my most main focus. Can we make the playoffs, you know? Do you want to make the playoffs, Kevin, if you're the Wizards? I mean, I'm such a big fan, and I have become apathetic about this team. I'm disappointed because I really felt, you know, going back to 2013, 14, 15, I thought we were in the midst of a 10-year run of of being a top-four seed every year, not necessarily a championship contender, but a piece away. No, but getting to play in the second round. Yeah, and, 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 you know, John's injuries have obviously hurt. And, you know, what do you think will happen before the trade deadline? Do you think they'll make a move? I think it's a critical time for them. Ted Leone said they're not tanking. I saw him at the uh, Warriors game. You know, Otto Porter hit some jump shots. You know, Otto Porter's been a little banged up. I like him when he makes jumpers. I wish he was a little more enthusiastic about the game, but that's just not his personality. Right. I love Bradley Beal. I've really become a Bradley Beal fan. And Thomas Bryant and Sadoransky, they're doing all they can. They play hard. They're good. The question is, is if in, in the next 10 days, or I guess six days, Tonight's a big game against the Pacers. They have to win. You know, they've, they've lost to the Hawks once, the Cavaliers. I mean, the Cavaliers twice come on. You know, the Bulls, they lost at home. Yeah. You win those games and you're in the playoffs right now. And if you're in the playoffs, that, that's what they want. That's a great goal. Why, why is that a goal, though? Because let's be fair. Th- there's a massive limit uh, on this team without John. And I know sure. that the team looks different and plays differently, and there's actually at times a more appealing aspect of watching them play here over the last few weeks than there was early with, with you know, uh, John seemingly at times disinterested, perhaps hurt, whatever it was. But I, I, I'm – it's not that I'm in the tanking, you know, mode. Um, if they get into the postseason no and they, you know, and they got a, you know, a seven-two matchup, it's not going to be with Indiana anymore because they're probably going to fall back here a little bit. But you know, they can't beat Toronto in a best of seven, Philly in a best of seven, Boston in a best of seven, Milwaukee in a best of seven. I, that's that's where in this league you get into. You know, is the goal trying to win a title? And maybe in the NBA, the goal can't even be winning a title with Golden State being what they are. But, you know, you want to you want to be in a conference championship series at least. No, you do. But with Wall out, that's not going to happen. No hopefully chance. Wall gets, he gets healthy and hopefully – I hope John Wall misses the game and wants to really play it every night next year. He's a tremendous talent. He's played really good against some good teams. Let's face it, there's some nights – I thought he would be better. Now we find out it was his heels, which is, you know, according to Larry Bird, 
the beginning of his downfall was his bone spurs. It just hurts when you walk. It hurts when you run. I don't blame the guy. So, but do you want to get to play? First of all, does Leontis and those guys want to make the cash for a couple home games? Probably. Okay. But it does give Satter. I like Satteransky and Bryant a lot for next year. Troy Brown has a huge offseason ahead of him. Last night he should have passed the ball. When he caught it with 10 right. seconds left, he was going to try to make the hero three. Let's not sugarcoat it. That's what was going on. He should have passed it. But this is a huge offseason. He was the 15th pick in the draft. He's only 19. He's very young. But he's got some size and he has the ability to pass the ball. Because they can't go out in the free agent market and get anybody. You know, they kind of they kind of have the team they right. have. Now, would you create Otto Porter? I don't know enough about that. You know, you'd have to ask Ernie Grunfeld. I don't know how that works. And I don't think anybody's going to take Jan Mahimi. Can you make him any better? He's your backup center. And you still have, does, does Dwight Howard next year come back and play? Because they, they're they paying him next year. They, they got him for $6 million, I think. So they could be really good if Wall, you know, becomes healthy. And then, like you said, you know, Beal and they got the pieces. And if Otto Porter, and I like the Markeith Morris. I think they, I wish this team right now had Markeith Morris. I'm a big fan. Does a lot of dirty work. He can make jumpers. And everyone on the other team's scared of him, which I like. But do those guys getting playoff experience help you for where you want to be in three years? I think it does. Because, now, look, if they had 11 wins and we're going to get their one, two, and three pick, I know what we're all thinking. But what does getting the 10th pick do for them, really? I don't know, you know? Yeah, I mean. So, in, other words, in other words, if our goal is to have Wall back and Saddle have more experience and Troy Brown have more experience, but Thomas Bryant, who's playing good, have more experience, what do you trade? You know, this is the question. Ariza and Jeff Green are, are people want them right now. Yeah, people want them for the playoff runs. I don't know how much they're going to give them, but that's who they want. Did you hear? Did you know that that's what's going on? Sort of like it's it's Green and Ariza are like valuable to a team that's you know fifth place. Like you said, Indiana right now that Oladipo's out, they'd die to have Green and, and Ariza because they could make a run. I don't know what you do there. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I've been the biggest Trevor Ariza fan. Um, I thought it was Probably. a, I thought it was a big mistake uh, when they, you know, went all, went all in for Durant. I never thought Durant would come back here, and I think Ariza would have been a huge difference maker in the years that they were in the postseason. I mean, you're a coach, you know, the value Probably. of a player 100%. like him. Um, but you know, when they're ready to actually contend at this point, you know, and let's just push it down the road two, three years. I mean, Ariza is going to be 36, 37 years old. So so they missed oh, yeah, out they on, don't on resign anyways. Yeah, yeah. They, exactly. they should have got him when he was younger. But we well, they should have just kept him. 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 Yeah, Ernie needed to pay him yeah. instead of let him going to go to Houston, where um, they miss him. Actually, I think this year. Uh, but um, <laughs> yeah, Green, that guy hard, hard up close. Young, who's your favorite? Close, who's your favorite player right. to watch right now? Is it Harden? I liked Harden in person up close, but I was really impressed with Russell Westbrook on and off the court too. You know the way he rebounds. Uh, Giannis sat out when I was here. Kyrie Irving put on a show. The Celtics won. I'm from Boston. I mean, the Wizards is the team I love because I work for them. And I've always enjoyed watching them. No, you love goals, the Celtics. I grew up a Celtics fan. Yeah. No, no, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. The Celtics is my hometown team. What Kyrie Irving did, falling out of bounds. And, and Wall played really good that night. He just, Kyrie Irving got him. He hit, and then he hit a half-court jumper to seal it. I like watching those guys in person. I think the Celtics have some issues. They may try to trade for Anthony Davis. I think the Jalen Brown draft pick plus Terry Rozier, they could get him. That's going to be an interesting sweepstakes that's right here in, in everyone's face. But I want the Wizards to make the playoffs. I like Ted Leontis. I like his thoughts. I like his, you know, get the A spot, the seventh spot, because the other ones are all taken. You know, you're not catching the, the Nets have done a good job developing guys. 
I do want to play Troy Brown a little more because I think if you're going to if he's going to be Spencer Dinwiddie and these guys, you have to play him. But I like to make the playoffs, and and then then a healthy, mentally healthy, physically healthy John Wall. You know, I, sometimes when guys sit out, they 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 respond differently. They they miss the game. They realize how lucky they were to be playing all the time, and that would be great because he's a really talented guy. But you can't lose Sadoransky. You know, that's the one you're going to have to keep. And I think he, Trevor Trevor and Jeff Green, that's a decision that the management's going to have to make in about a week or so. All right, look, two things, and, and we'll, we'll cover them quickly. One NBA, and then I'll let you weigh in on the Super Bowl. Um, I think you and I have had this conversation before. I, I love Russell Westbrook, and I just, you know, no, no one tries harder in sports than him for me. I mean, there's just nobody that has more no, energy and tries harder than he does. I have watched a lot of them this year. I think that Paul George is the best fit for him, and he is the guy that he trusts more than anybody else, and that's going to serve them well. Not not against Golden State. Nobody's beaten Golden State in the best of seven. But I think I think the Thunder are really good this year. They're in third place, and the Nuggets have good players, but they don't have the superstars which you need. I got the Thunder going to the finals against the Warriors. Now, the Warriors, I mean, we love Steph. And I think Durant, I think Paul George is like Durant. He's better being the second guy. I think Kevin Durant's going to stay in Oakland. You know, I don't, I mean, in, you know, obviously San Francisco, they're moving yeah. to the new arena. I think he's going to stay. You know, my, my bet is that Durant stays. Maybe Clay Thompson leaves because he wants to be his own guy. Or he's just, you know, but, and if Boogie Cousins likes it, that guy's huge in person. I like seeing him in person. He's, he's a really good player. Um, Boogie Cousins, I know he's had some issues in Sacramento, but can really play. But I like the Thunder. I, I, I like. I, I agree with you. Westbrook in person, he doesn't just get rebounds because they fall in his hands. He's going and getting them. He is athletically gifted. He's a little tall. See, Zion Williamson's a little smaller than I thought. Westbrook's a little bigger than I thought. He's a little longer than I thought. You know. Yeah. He's really super athletic, and it's funny watching that stuff. But I really like them. I, I you know, the Warriors Thunder I got, and I probably have. Toronto versus Milwaukee. You know, Boston, you can never count them out because of the coach and they got talent, but they might be a player short. And I yeah. just, Toronto, I got, Milwaukee. I got, Toronto's just this guy's better than I thought, you know, and they, 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 the GM's done a great job. I love Kyle Lowry, Spunk, and all that. I just, the new coach might give them a the little hump to get, you know, a little mental edge to get over the hump. And I just, that's like a Toronto, Milwaukee, Golden State, Thunder. Um, that's interesting, uh, because I, I would have thought you would have said Boston, Philly, Boston, Toronto. I like Toronto. I think Kawhi Leonard is, is, is a top five, top three player and that's, uh, and he's going to put him over the top there. All right, real quickly before we run, because already this is by far and away and I've enjoyed every single second of it, but it is the longest interview I've ever done because you and I could, and we could probably do another hour and a half. We, we can do another hour we, and a half. I know. Why is nobody signing Harper? We all... Well, we always said anytime, like we, we, we did a couple of those years where we did the, you know, the tournament shows and we did it at third edition. Yeah, and that, I think yeah, we did, third edition, we did a couple of other places. And we always said we, we could do this together. I mean, it's, it, it might only, hey. we may be the only two people that enjoy it, but who cares? But, um, you are a Patriots guy. Um, is, no, I'm not. I'm a Ravens guy. No, uh, you're a Ravens guy. I know, but you, but you, you respect the Patriots and you respect the hell out of them. What happened Sunday? I, I got... 31-24 Rams. I think the Rams' defense, I think if you knock Brady down, I love Brady. I love his competitiveness. He loves to play sports. He he competes. He'll, he'll take a three-point shot contest right now. He was a great catcher in high school. 
I've met him before. Belichick's clearly, while he's had some luck, you know, with, with Carroll's thing throwing the pass and the Falcons and all that, no one's going to outwork him. I was impressed when they went into Kansas City. Okay, beating the Chargers was one thing. Yeah, I, I love Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. I'm a Ravens guy. I was a Celtic guy in Boston. But the rest, I never liked the Red Sox because they have the worst fans ever. The Bruins were the Bruins. And the Patriots played in Foxborough in some metal stadium. I, I, I went to two games out there. I didn't care. But you've got to respect what they're doing. And they have two weeks to get ready. But I think athletically, and I just think it's the young guy's time. You know, I wanted to see Mahomes versus Goff, kind of a new blood. But after what Brady did and the enthusiasm he showed and how happy he was when they won, that was impressive. So I think it's close, but I think the Rams get him 31-24. Yeah, I like the Rams too. And it's uh, the Lamar Jackson thing, uh, that's going to be fascinating to watch here the next few years. Yeah, he's going to have to learn how to pass it a little better in the offseason. Yeah. The, Ram, the Ravens know he's got a little work to do. But he got see, he got a lot of valuable experience, and we didn't tank. We went – for the, you know, the Ravens went for the playoffs. They changed to Jackson. You know, Flacco's available. I w- I'm with you. If I was the Redskins, I'd take him. He can still sling it. I wouldn't take him if I were the Redskins because I, I think that they're just – and he's, he wouldn't come here. He's He's got to go to a contender where they've got a defense like in Jacksonville or Denver um, where, he, you know, he can get coached. You know, he, The Redskins within November 15th, you were going to the Super Bowl. <laughs> Stop it. Uh, <laughs> Three weeks later, it was chaos with anarchy down. Yeah, it always is, isn't as it? Usual. I enjoy it <laughs> as, as, as per usual. Love, yeah. Uh, that this this yeah I'll, I'll uh we'll we'll do we'll do Bentleys before I'll see you somewhere else between now and then thanks so much thanks brother see you Kevin bye uh that was that was an all timer right there in the short life of the Kevin Sheehan Show podcast at this point um it was by far and away our longest interview and you know what if it wasn't for you you just can fast forward or go to another show it was for me though I enjoy it and every single time Jimmy and I end up talking. Uh, off the air or on the air. We've never been able to do it that long on the air, but off the air, it ends up being a two-hour conversation all the time. He is one of the best dudes you will ever meet, and he is smart, and he's interesting, and you can tell he's into sports, and the Zion Williamson thing was really interesting. You can tell that he's a little bit He's not as in awe as everyone else is, thinks he's a little bit smaller, and those are the things that, that, that coaches notice, and he's had a chance to see a lot of those guys up close um, and live. Um, real quickly, Farish Chrysler Dodge Jeep in Fairfax. Please consider them if you're considering a Chrysler Dodge Jeep or even a Subaru. Head out to Farish Chrysler Dodge Jeep in Fairfax. They're right there in the heart of Fairfax and Fairfax Circle. Ask for Ralph Perkins. He runs the store there. Tell him that I sent you. Um, you'll get a great deal, I promise you. Right now, best rebates of the year, lots of inventory. The Jeep Cherokee, the Grand Cherokee, the Jeep Wrangler, best deals of the year on those three vehicles. Same goes for the Ram uh, pickup. Uh, all the Ram, They've got a ton of Ram pickups on the lot. I was actually out there earlier uh, this week. They've got a used car lot, too. It's overflowing with vehicles. You'll get a great deal on a used vehicle if you're interested in that. FarishCars.com for all the information you need. Uh, including live inventory, live pricing, and their best deals. That's FarishCars.com. 
Launchworkplaces.com. Also, I want to tell you about Launch Workplaces in Bethesda, but Launch Workplaces, they've got places all over town as well. Go to launchworkplaces.com to get all of your information. And if you call 240-867-14, you'll get a free two-day trial. They've got fully furnished offices right in Bethesda. If you live in that area uh, and you're looking to work from outside of the home and you're looking for a small office or just a co-working desk or you need a conference room, go to launchworkplaces.com or call 240-867-14. Mention my name. You'll get a free two-day trial. Fully furnished offices, conference rooms, co-working desks, high-speed internet, complimentary drinks, a cafe, free parking, and 24-7 access. They've got locations all over town. Uh, Just go to launchworkplaces.com to find out where they are. All right. uh, One thing just to finish up with real quickly. uh, Somebody tweeted, we talked gambling yesterday on the show, sports gambling. Um, A lot of you enjoyed the story that I told about my buddy from Maryland, my freshman year, who was a close friend of mine. And he and I both lost a ton of money gambling and, and we owed the bookie, you know, a couple thousand dollars and he split, he vanished. And, um, when I say vanished, he just left school and didn't pay. And I didn't hear from him for nine, you know, seven, eight, nine years, something like that. And then he called one day and it was, um, just interesting. But if you want to go back and listen to it, I think it was at the 49 minute mark yesterday. Uh, It was in the midst of Tommy and I talking about sports gambling. And then somebody um, sent me a link to Ted's Take, which is Ted Leonsis's uh, blog. Um, And he had linked... And actually, you know, I follow Ted on Twitter, and I think sometimes he sends out some really good links to some really good stories. And a lot lot of times they're about the, the D.C. area, which I enjoy. But anyway... He linked people to a story in the New York Times Magazine about sports gambling, and then he wrote something um, on his blog. And you know, I've mentioned Ted a lot in recent weeks and months. He's really pushed, you know, the legalization of sports betting, and you know how much fun it can be. And and it's going to be an opportunity for him too, because Capital One Arena will, you know, obviously be one of those places where you will probably be able to go and wager on games and possessions and plays. And he writes in his blog uh, as he's linking to this story in, in New York Times Magazine: the more data a fan has about a player or a team, the better he or she can predict the outcome of a game or a possession or a play. And as our data analytics have gotten better, sports betting has only gotten more popular. Um, and that's, uh, you know, that was along with a, a lot of other things. And it's, it, it, it's really sort of what his message has been since the legalization of sports betting, uh, went through, um, last year, he's really pushing this and, you know, and at times, I mean, I, for people like me who have, you know, experienced, um, you know, both, you know, both personally and by extension with friends, et cetera, you know, the, the pitfalls of gambling and, and understanding like most people who have bet before and almost anybody that's bet before that, you know, 99.9% of the people lose. You don't win money gambling. They didn't build all those places in Las Vegas because people won money and that, you know, more information is great, but it doesn't give you an advantage when it comes to sports betting because the other guy, the house, they've got the same information and it's factored into the price. And, um, I, I tweeted out uh, this morning um, Ted's link and 
hit the quote uh, from him, and I just said, Translation, sports gambling is easy, kids. The house is a sitting duck just waiting to be taken down. Easy money. Um, I didn't have to say sarcasm with the people that, that, for most of you, you know how I feel about that. But there were some interesting responses um, that I wanted to read real quickly. First of all, somebody said, all of Ted's analytics would have told you to take Kansas, Virginia, and Mississippi State last night. That's probably true. But... um, uh, and I, I gave out uh, Texas against Kansas City, uh, against Kansas City, against Kansas last night because that was such a major contrarian play. But this was the tweet that I wanted to read. It came from Brian, who said, I love your pod, Kev, but your own smell test disproves your theory that data can't outsmart, less so with football, small sample size, etc. And what Brian is saying is that my smell test over the years has won. It has won now nine out of 13 years. Um, and the, and I use data. I, of course I use data. The, the data that I use, though, I use as a way of admitting that I'm not going to take all of the available statistical data out there, crunch it, and create some sort of predictive modeling, out, uh, you know, predictive outcome model. You know, that's a joke. The people that think that they can actually do that, and I think Ted actually thinks people can do that, they're the marks. Like, they're the people that my friends who live in the Caribbean and take bets for a living, they will be fighting themselves to get that business. Those are the people that haven't really had access to betting because they just don't know the right people to do it locally and they probably dabbled in it here and there um but those are the people that never think they're wrong and they're going to go, they're they're going to get crushed with all of their data and all of their analytics that's that's that it's an absolute given now on my thing yeah i lose i use data i do but the data i use is data that admits that i don't know it's an admission that the people on the other side that have the same data, all of the stats, all of the analytics, and have factored it into the price already, that they know, and that very occasionally there is some data out there that suggests that the public thinks that they have figured out the game and the point spread that they are going to win big on, and the house then needs a side. And when I have that data that the house has a big need, then I fire in. That's true. But, you know, even though the smell test, Brian, has done well over the years, nine years of, of, of wins and four losing years, and even the four losing years were like 48 49%. But the winning years haven't been 70%. I think I had one year that was 64%. You know, so that's a big year. But, you know, the years where I'm, I'm, you know, at 54, 53%, you know, you're barely making any money. And here's the problem that no one's disciplined when they bet. So not only have they bet, you know, 10 straight bets on a Sunday, uh, you know, on an NFL Sunday, they have, you know, they, they've categorized in their own mind their five-star and their four-star. And so they put a certain amount on this game and a certain amount on, you know, a little bit less on this game and a lot less on, on another game. And that never works either. And you end up, you know, in, in a situation where you're not only losing the VIG, but you may be losing your big bets and winning your smaller bets. And then they're going to work them into parlays and they're going to work them into two and three team teasers 
And by the time you get done that Sunday, you may have gone six and four on your 10 games using the smell test, but you probably lost money with all the teasers and all the parlays that you fit it into. That's just a reality. But yes, you are right. I have used data, um, but it's not the same data that Ted and all of the AOL, you know, you know, smart guys are, are thinking about using. They actually, I believe, think that they've got models and they've got data and they can crunch it to a point where the house hasn't figured it out and they can take advantage of that. I don't believe that that's true. That's just uh, my position on that. But anyway, um, I liked a lot of your responses to it. And I also just want to say that I don't think he's doing it as a way to just push, you know, betting. I think, I don't think he's, you know, I think there may be a naivete there with people who haven't bet before. I don't know if he has or hasn't, or the people around him have or haven't. Um, I think that, you know, there's a lot of excitement around the legalization of sports betting. I think it will benefit businesses like Ted's sports businesses. Um, I think it'll, it'll benefit in the, in the increased interest in the games and specifically and directly they'll benefit from, you know, having available in their arena, uh, the ability to take bets. And trust me, if you want to be on the side that makes money, be on the taking bet side. Those that's the side that makes the money. The placing bet side doesn't make money. Anyway, uh, I've gone on long enough. It's cold. It's getting colder tomorrow on the show. Tommy will be here. We'll do some Super Bowl trivia. I'm also going to have a discussion about whether or not it makes sense for the Redskins to be thinking about trading up. I think John uh, John Kime wrote about this yesterday, and the the pitfalls of certainly the RG three trade back in 2012. Um, I'm not against trading up, and and I'll go into that in more detail uh, tomorrow. Have a great day.